morning, everyone. Praise is rising. Eyes are turning to We turn to Oh, 
Jesus. Oh, come have your way among us. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Well, good morning. I want to welcome you today here to Northside. We are delighted that you are here to worship our great God and Savior Jesus Christ together today. It is a little bit of an unusual day uh, for obvious reasons, as you see some things have been moved around on the stage. That is for our children's musical. They did a performance last night. They're going to do another performance tonight. If you came last night, that's great. Come back again tonight because it's going to be exciting, and uh, you'll see all these uh, decorations and things put to work uh, again tonight at 6 o'clock. If you're a guest today, know we're especially glad you're worshiping with us, we'd encourage you to take the side of the bulletin and fill out your information there and tear that off. You can drop it in the offering plate or give it to a staff member here in just a few moments. Right now, we're going to take a moment to greet each other. So if you see someone you don't recognize or hadn't seen in a while, go tell, say good morning to them and we'll continue to worship together in just a moment.
Thank you, children. You guys can go ahead and stand up.
this morning. He's looking good. I've rubbed off on myself. Uh, let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Father, we thank you for the mercy drops that fall. Father, we feel a little soggy, but you know what we need, so we trust in you. Father, we give this hour to you. Father, we thank you for praise that has been lifted. May it be a sweet savor to you. Father, we give the tithes and offerings that we are about to collect to you. Father, may you work in them and through them. May you multiply them, God. We give you praise and glory. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
to invite the choir to come down and the children to come over here and join me up front. And I would ask, if you've got Wi-Fi on, please turn it off. Apparently, you're clogging our bandwidth this morning. So, uh, so people are texting me and, and telling me their bandwidth is bad. So, so do you guys have all your Wi-Fi turned off? No? Well, turn your Wi-Fi off, young man. All right, scoot over. Make room. Make room. All right, can I sit right here? So I was digging around in some files in my office the other day, and I found a couple of very interesting things that I wanted to share with you today. Um, this is a church bulletin, okay? Now, this is a church bulletin that doesn't look like our church bulletin today. This is our church bulletin today. This is our church bulletin. It says Northside Baptist Church on it, uh, but it doesn't really look like our church, and it doesn't really look like our bulletin. You know why that is? Because this bulletin is from March 26th, which is tomorrow, so it's a bulletin from the future, Except it's from 1995, so it's a bulletin from the past, tomorrow in the past, right? I know that's crazy to think about, right? So, so this bulletin is from Northside Baptist Church, and it's from March 26, 1995, and there's some things about it that are similar. For instance, it's got some announcements and things. Back here, it's got, it's got numbers, from uh, like our bulletin has numbers. Uh, the offering this week in 1995 was $907. That wouldn't meet our budget today. Uh, so, so actually, Northside usually takes, all, takes up 10 times that amount now per week. Um, numbers are a little bit off too. Sunday school, there were only 40 people in Sunday school this time in 1995, and, and hopefully we had a lot more than that today. Um, but there's, a, there's some names on here that some of you may remember. Uh, uh, there's uh, the pastor at the time was Dr. Bobby Helton, a good friend of mine who's gone on to be with the Lord. He preached from Romans chapter 10 on this Sunday back in 1995. Uh, they met for Sunday school at 915, had worship at 1030, so that's, that's still the same. But, but a lot of things are different. Did you know that they didn't even have a building to meet in in 1995? They didn't have a church to meet in. As a matter of fact, they didn't have a church until, until look at this piece of paper I found, this ancient document that I found here. <laughs> Boys and girls, this is from what used to be called a newspaper. <laughs> this is what used to be called a newspaper, and it's on the screen. You can see it if you can't see it in my hands. It's from June 2nd, 1996, and it was the week that, that the church, this building, was actually dedicated. Now, what does that mean? That means that people came together and prayed over the church and said that this building would be used for, for the Lord. And it looks a lot different, right? There's no trees in front of it. It's just a building. Uh, the inside looks sort of similar, but even that, there's some things that are different about that. And it was 1996 that Northside finally had a building to meet in. And now today, you guys have got a lot of things. You've got lots of buildings to meet in. You've got, uh, you've got screens and things like that that we can use for, for different things. We've got sports programs. So the church looks a lot different today than it did back in 1995 and 1996. But does that mean that the church is different? Just because it looks different doesn't mean that, that the church is necessarily different. Now, in some ways it is different because a lot of these folks weren't here in 1995. I wasn't even here in 1995. I was a junior in high school in 1995, okay? That was for you guys. Um, so, so a lot of these people weren't here then, but Northside was around then. 
And I just want to encourage you boys and girls that sometimes churches go through changes, right? There's kind of a big one that's coming up. Uh, you guys may have heard that I'm not, that this is my last Sunday here as your pastor. Now, does that mean that the church is going to go crazy because there's no, there's no pastor that, you know? Is, no, of course not. Of course not. You guys are blessed with tremendous, tremendous leaders who are going to help in that and help things keep going strong. And that, it may look different a year from now, but that doesn't mean that Northside has changed. That just means that, that the church is growing and, and, and still figuring out how to minister to its community. And so I want to encourage you boys and girls that regardless of, of, of what sort of little changes happen here and there, that, that who's in charge of the church? Is it the pastor? Nope. It's Jesus. Guess what? This is his church. It's not my church. It's not your church, it's not your mom and daddy's church, it's Jesus' church. And so as long as we can remember that, that it's Jesus' church, then, uh, then the church is going to be just fine. All right, let's pray together. God, thank you for, thank you for 25 years of ministry here at Northside, Father, for, for a church that's been part of its community and, and that started over in an elementary school 25 years ago, Lord. That uh, God, we're grateful for this church and what she's meant to so many different people throughout the years. I thank you for what she's meant to me and my family in the years that we've been here, Lord. I thank you, Father, for our church and the leadership that's here, God, that's going to help make sure that the church stays focused on Jesus in the, in the weeks and months to come, Lord. God, we're grateful that this is not our church, it's not my church, it's not our parents' church, Lord, it's Jesus' church. And so, Lord, as long as we understand that it's your church and that you own it, that you're in charge, God, then we know things are going to be in good shape. God, thank you for these boys and girls, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys.
I should have known Curtis would get one more Crimson Tide song in there before I left. Everybody asked if I would finish Jeremiah. Uh, I've got 40 chapters left, so I'm game if y'all are game. <laughs> I was told I had to be here till 4 o'clock today, so, uh, so I'm not sure we can finish that, but, uh, but we'll give it all we can. Uh, actually, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 23 today, so if you've got your Bible, find Jeremiah chapter 23, um, and we'll read through the end of the book. <laughs> uh, Jeremiah chapter 23, I'll begin reading in verse 1. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away. You have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how it speaks to us and teaches us in all of our times and places, Lord, that it's always relevant and that Jeremiah's words are particularly true for us today. Bless this time now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. In trying to decide what to say today, uh, it, I came to the unfortunate realization that many pastors in Baptist churches don't actually know when their last Sunday is going to be. Um, some of the hardest things that I've heard in the last month have been, we've never been able to, to be at a church where the pastor left on good terms. And those are, those are hard words to hear. Uh, I hope I'm leaving on good terms. I, I hope I am. I don't know of anybody that's, that's uh, uh, there might be a party next week. Uh, uh, my office may be turned into the hot tub suite for the next pastor. I don't know. But I, I hope and pray that, uh, that, that your feelings are mimicked by my feelings. And my feelings are, are, are heavy today. Um, and so in, in trying to figure out what to say, I know that a lot of pastors would love the opportunity just to, just to have, you know, let you have it, you know, one last time. What's the worst thing that could happen? You, you can fire me, right? You know, time to say all the things that have been unsaid, you know, time to, time to, to level the playing field, let you guys have it, right? And walk out the door with no regrets, except that's really not what I need to do today. Um, there's some challenges for us today that I want us to walk through. But in dealing with Jeremiah, I feel that it's best to leave the series through Jeremiah unfinished. And only because that is what I want to challenge you with here today. There are things that are finished, but at the same time there are things that are unfinished. And this morning I want us to consider those unfinished things and celebrate those things that are in fact finished. But I want us to be challenged to put our hands to the plow and continue working on that which is left undone.
done. And Jeremiah's words in chapter 23 give us tremendous insight into these things that need to be done. But in order to get there, we have to first walk through a warning. Jeremiah chapter 23 begins with a warning, and that warning is to bad shepherds or bad leaders. First, in order to grasp what this means, I want us to understand what is meant by, by bad leaders. Today, today we have lots of definitions of leadership. You can go to secular leadership classes and secular leadership courses, and there's books and books and books that have been written on how to be a good leader. I was looking through my books as I was putting them in the box, and I was looking at all the different, I, I counted at least 15 different books on leadership. Some secular, some not, but all kinds of different thoughts and opinions on what it means to be a leader. Ultimately, Jesus' model of leadership, I think, is the most fitting, where he uh, modeled for us servant leadership. He said in, in Mark chapter 10, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to offer his life as a ransom for many. The model that Jesus leaves us is the model of servant leadership. And regardless of whatever leadership paradigm, whatever office you hold, wherever you may be, the, the, the model for leadership is the servant leader of course, that we see in Jesus. But here Jeremiah is warning about bad shepherds, bad leaders. And, and what is he talking about here? I don't think he means bad leaders in the sense that they struggle with delegation or micromanagement. Right? Sometimes we think a bad leader is somebody who, who, who wrestles with, with delegation. You know, they, they take everything on themselves and they end up not doing anything well because they, they try to do everything themselves. And, and I know I struggle with delegation. If you're involved in leadership, you know that sometimes it's easier just to do it yourself. Right? You know sometimes it's just easier to do the task because you know the task will be done to the standard that you expect, and whether that's a good standard or not, you know at least will be done to the standard that you expect. And I know I struggle with that. Sometimes bad leaders struggle with micromanagement, you know, where, they're, where they try to manipulate and control and, and make sure every little piece is functioning exactly like they want it to function. And, and I'm not talking about that in terms of, of, of negative leadership characteristics. I'm not talking about bad leaders who fail to inspire the masses or motivate the crowd. You know, sometimes that's how we identify a good leader, somebody who can stand up in front of a crowd, can, can, can say a few words, and then motivate that crowd to, to do whatever. Uh, some leaders don't quite have that charisma or that ability. That's not the type of leaders that we're warned about either. When we look at the bad leadership, the shepherds that Jeremiah is cautioning about, these are bad leaders, these are shepherds who, who do malfeasance to the sheep. These are, these are shepherds who, who work malevolently towards the sheep. They want to harm the sheep. For Jeremiah, he has in mind the priests and the kings who did so much harm to the people of Israel and Judah. And we certainly know many of their crimes. We know that these shepherds that Jeremiah is warning about, that these shepherds led the people into gross and rampant idolatry. That's who these shepherds were. These shepherds, these priests and kings and leaders of the people, they were supposed to point people to Yahweh, but instead of pointing people to Yahweh, they enticed people to pursue rebellion against the Lord's law and against His authority. Now here's the good news. God promises that these shepherds will get what they deserve. Uh, he warns them that, that they will get what they deserve. You know, oftentimes we today, we look for justice on the short term right? When there is harm done against us, we want justice to be taken in the short run. When a crime is committed, we want there to be swift and quick justice and retribution against the criminal. But many times we recognize that justice, justice is sometimes not even reached 
in our fallen judicial system. Sometimes justice is something that never even that we never actually attain. But we certainly understand that there is a time to come when perfect justice will be meted out. There is coming a time where justice will be perfect. And these shepherds that, that Jeremiah is warning about here, there is coming a day, there is coming a time when justice will be meted out to them. But I don't want to focus on the bad shepherds, because I don't want you to think I'm one, right? I want to focus on what, what Jeremiah actually says about, about this time to come when there will be good shepherds who will lead the flock and not scatter the flock. And we recognize that within this, there is this gentle current of messianic hope. That within these words, that, that the prophet is looking forward to the day that there will be a good shepherd who will lead the sheep. There will be a shepherd who takes care of the sheep. And we certainly recognize that in John chapter 10, verse 11, that Jesus actually takes this mantle upon himself. He says he is, he is the, the good shepherd. He is the one who is going to lay down his life for his sheep. And in doing so, Jesus, when in John chapter 10, verse 11, he is appealing to this Old Testament promise that God would provide shepherds to gather the flock instead of scattering the flock. Look at verse 3 again in Jeremiah chapter 23. He says, Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful, and they shall multiply. Men and women of the church, I want to tell you today that we are evidence that God has kept His promise. We are the evidence today that God has indeed kept this promise because you are part of this flock. You are part of this flock that God has looked forward to. And from Jeremiah chapter 23, you are part of this flock. You are part of this flock of God that has been fruitful and multiplied as the people of God have indeed multiplied. Instead of being just a small, insignificant group of people dwelling on the shore of the eastern Mediterranean, listen to this, the people of God today... They are a worldwide kingdom spanning thousands of languages on every continent that holds life. And they are made up of people of every pigment and tone of skin color that you can imagine. That's the people of God today. The, the, the flock is indeed multiplied. The flock has grown. The flock has, has crossed boundaries that no other flock could cross. The fold indeed is a beautiful flock following the good shepherd. And that's, that's us today. You're part of the flock following the good shepherd. You are the fulfillment of the prophetic words of Jeremiah chapter 23 when a good shepherd will rule and reign over the people of God, over the flock of God, drawing people from every nation that they've been scattered. In this, we see the overtones of the Great Commission where we've been called to go to where? The ends of the earth, to every nation. Looking for a multitude, we understand in the book of Revelation that gathered around the throne, there will be a multitude from every people, tribe, and tongue worshiping the Lamb. And so we understand that in the middle of these words that we are looking far beyond the people of Israel. We are looking to the ends of the earth and we're looking to Noonan, Georgia where God's people are here. I suspect if we just did a survey of the room of where everybody's from, where everybody's been, where everybody's going, that even represented in this congregation, there's people from, from, from other nations, from other, from other states. Even here in this body today, and so we see this remarkable, beautiful flock following the, the, the perfect shepherd that we see in Jesus. But in God's strange providence, and I, I fall into this category, 
God calls some men to serve as under-shepherds, to help shepherd, shepherd the flock. God calls some men to serve as under-shepherds, to help shepherd the flock. 1 Peter chapter 5 shines light on this for us. Peter the apostle, he said this, he said, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow, fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Listen to what he says. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus, of course, is the chief shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the master shepherd that's willing to lay down his life for his sheep. And Jesus indeed does that. You will celebrate Good Friday this week. And that is the reminder of the shepherd laying down his life for the vitality, for the eternal life of the sheep. But there are those men who are called and set apart as elders, and they are asked to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And remember, that word shepherd is the word from where we get our term pastor. And so Peter here is saying, pastor the flock, shepherd the flock, take care of the flock. Not as the good shepherd, not as the master shepherd, not as the chief shepherd, that's a title reserved only for Jesus, but as those who are called to be under shepherds. And while I don't necessarily know that Jeremiah had the full picture of what this future of better shepherds look like, I certainly believe that pastors today are called to be those better shepherds. I firmly believe that with all my heart, that pastors today are called to be those better shepherds. I hope that in the time that I've served here, that I've tried to be a better shepherd. I'm sure that there's a list in someone's Bible of all the times I've dropped the ball. Uh, my wife's probably got her own list of all the times that I didn't quite meet the standard. And I know that there's a list in the Lord's hands that I will have to give an account for at some point in time in, in this journey. But when today's amen is said, I hope and pray that you can say that I tried to do what I was supposed to do, shepherd and oversee the flock at Northside to point you to Jesus. That's what I've wanted to try to do here. Now, I mentioned to you in the introduction that I want us to think about that which is finished and that which is unfinished. And that which is unfinished is the work that God has called this flock to do. Understand this, that just because there's a change in the identity of the under-shepherd doesn't mean that the church's job is finished. You know, we talk about what is the pastor's vision and where's the church, what's the, what's the vision for the church and all those sort of things. That's great and that's fine, but the Bible lays out a real clear and real simple vision of what the church is to be about doing, and that is to be making disciples. That is the church's vision that's laid out in Scripture. You can have a fancy vision statement and you can print it on your banners and your brochures, but at the end of the day, what God calls the church to do is make disciples, and no one's finished that yet. It's not done. It's not completed. And whoever fills the pulpit, whoever wears the title of under-shepherd, it doesn't mean that the church has finished the job. The job is still undone. Folks, we still have work to do, and there is a flock right here guess what? God has called it to multiply. God has called it to multiply. Now I will say, you guys have done a pretty good job of biological multiplication. Especially in the last six months or so. 
You're still working on it, as a matter of fact. But let's be clear. As much as we celebrate and rejoice in biological multiplication, even when it's by threes, if biological multiplication were the church's only evangelism strategy, folks, we're going to be in serious trouble. If we're only counting on making sure that our kids follow Jesus, then, then this is done in about four generations. It's finished. It's not just here, all of us. It's, it's done. Because we can't keep up. For one, as a people, we've stopped having kids. Our birth rates are below replacement rates now. And so give it about 100 years and this thing looks totally different. And so if we're only counting on reaching our kids for Jesus, we should count on reaching our kids for Jesus, but that's not going to cut it. It's not sufficient. God wants his flock to grow. God wants his flock to multiply. God wants goats to be born again and turned into sheep. Everyone who's in Christ is a new creature. A goat turns into a sheep. That's what God's desire is for his church. That's what God's vision is for his church. Coweta County is one of the fastest growing counties in the state. People are moving in from all over. And it's easy for flocks that are the size of our church to feel inferior to the bigger churches across town. But I want to remind you that those bigger churches were once the size of Northside. They once were. And so God calls His church to multiply. That is the unfinished task. And I pray that whoever your next under-shepherd is, I pray that they are a powerful preacher who can share the gospel from this pulpit with fire and excitement. But I will tell you this, that if the sheep are not sharing the gospel with that same fire and excitement in our workplaces, in our classrooms, in our civic engagements with your friends, with your neighbors, then the neighborhoods will continue to grow in this area, but the church will remain status quo. I promise you, if you are counting on this person to be the sole evangelist in this congregation, this church will never grow and multiply as God intends for it to. It will never happen. Men and women, we have work to do. And I'm convinced that this work will never be finished until the Lord brings things to a fitting close. In the same chapter, though, Jeremiah looks forward to a day. Not just when there'll be good shepherds to tend the flock, not unrighteous, evil shepherds who harm the flock. But God looks forward to a day here when the Lord will raise up a righteous branch. He says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and all Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Translated, this is a name you don't often hear prayed when somebody prays through the names of God. It's, it's Yahweh Tzikainu. Yahweh Tzikainu, the Lord is our righteousness. Well, you see, when I said there was something that was unfinished, and I said, there's also something that is finished. This is the finished work that I wanted to talk about this morning. There's an unfinished task for the church today. Not just this church, but every church. There's an unfinished task. And it doesn't matter who fills the pulpit, that task remains unfinished. And it doesn't matter if a church is without a pastor for 10 years. The task is unfinished. It doesn't change. 
doesn't go away. It doesn't, doesn't differentiate because there's differences and changes over the course of time. The task remains unfinished. But by God's grace, there is something that is finished, and it is this good news today, that the Lord is our righteousness. Yahweh Sekenu. You see, the work that is finished is that we who are in Christ have been declared righteous through the finished work of Jesus. That's the finished work. If you're in Christ today, you've been declared righteous not by anything that you've done, but by everything Christ has done. You have been made righteous through the shed blood of Jesus, through the finished work. When Jesus from the cross said, it is finished, he meant it. It is finished. There is nothing you can do to add to what he has already done and already accomplished. It is finished. And Jeremiah said, his name is the Lord is our righteousness. You see, we see the fulfillment of this in such a remarkable way in what Jesus has done. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He made him who knew no sin. Translate that. He knew him who was righteous. He knew no, he knew no sin. To become sin. Translate. To become unrighteousness. He made him who was righteous to become unrighteous so that we, the people of God, might what? We might become the righteousness of God. And this is exactly what Jeremiah was saying. He simply condensed it to a name, to a title. God finished this transaction at the cross. The work is done. It cannot be added to or taken away. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says, if you want to add anything to it, you need to be condemned because it's finished. It's done. The Lord is our righteousness. But guess what? Because it's finished, this means that it is, there's, a, there's something totally radical about the way we approach our lives now. Because the Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. Understand this, we approach life from a position of victory, not from the position of a victim. Why? Because the Lord is our righteousness. We are not struggling to win because the winning has already taken place. We are victors, not victims. The struggle is on the front end because it's on the front end where you have to decide to lay down your life and follow Jesus. That's where the struggle is. The struggle is where you have to say, I hate my sin and I love Jesus more than I love my sin. That's where the wrestling match takes place. That's why there are those who hear the gospel time in and time out and week after week and they never give their life to Christ because they love their sin and their rebellion more than they love the Lord. The struggle of the wrestling match is on the front end. Now that's not to say that walking with the Lord is easy. Anybody ever struggled walking with the Lord? Absolutely. But there's a perspective change that happens when you're that new creature, when you're a sheep and not a goat. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, listen to how Paul describes the difficulties of life as a Christian. He says, for this light, momentary affliction. And now listen to this. This light, momentary affliction. This is the Apostle Paul who's been beat, stoned, shipwrecked, snake bit, you name it, it's happened to him. And he describes all the bad that's happened to him as momentary light affliction. I woke up with a headache yesterday morning and I thought I was dying. 
I, we had to, we were doing lacrosse stuff, and so we had to drive from, from, we had to drive to Duluth on Friday during rush hour and be in Dalton at noon yesterday. We went through Alpharetta to get there, and so anybody would have had a tension headache after doing that. And all I could think is, I've got to stop and get ibuprofen. We didn't have any. I am, I am in misery here. And then the Apostle Paul says, yeah, my momentary light affliction. And I said, Lord, I'm a wimp. I'm a whiny wimp. He says this momentary light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look to the things that are as we as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You see, the challenges that we face in this life as followers of Jesus, we face the challenges not as victims but it's victors. Why? Yahweh Sekenu. The Lord is our righteousness. The Lord is our righteousness. The victory is won. You are a victor, not a victim. And you do this work that we've been called to do with the confidence, with the absolute assurance that you don't overcome by your skill or by your cunning. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6 says, It's not by power or by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. Because of what is finished. Because of what is finished. We have every confidence in our efforts to complete the task that we still have yet to finish. We have every confidence, every assurance to put our hands to the plow and get to work. There's an unfinished task and there's a finished one. I thought long and hard about what I wanted to say to bring these things to a close. And very simply, I want to do just what Jeremiah has already done for us today. Point people to Jesus. When all is said and done, at the end of the day, when the matter is brought to a close, what matters most? That you look to Jesus. That you look to Jesus. Yahweh Sekenu. The Lord is our righteousness. We need to make sure that we look beyond our pulpits and beyond those who fill them and recognize the all-important truth that it isn't the pastor who saves us. It isn't the pastor who declares us righteous. If you're a Catholic and you, you go to the priest and the priest absolves you of your sin, the priest has no authority to absolve you of your sins. Who does? Yahweh Sekenu. The Lord is our righteousness. It is He who declares us righteous. It is He who has finished the work. And I will say this today, there are some of you in the room today, you need to give your life to the one who wants to give you His righteousness. You need to make the decision today to give your life to the one who wants to make you righteous by his finished task. 
You have an unfinished job in front of you because you still are in rebellion against the Son of God and He wants to give you the gift of salvation and declare you righteous by His finished work. There are those here who need to do that today. You know who you are and you know what God wants you to do. I also want to remind you today this is your church and your church needs you. The pulpit is an important part of the church, but guess what? It's not the church. It's not the church. Don't approach the transition that's coming from a position of selfishness. What's in my best interest? What's in my family's best interest? What do I prefer the most? Approach it as part of the body. What's best for the body? What's good for the flock? What's good for the church? What's good for our community? And finally, let me encourage you to trust those who continue to lead. I know that those men that serve here as elders and deacons, I love each and every single one of them. Even the ones I give a hard time to and say snarky things about. Mike, even you. (laughs) Mike's the only one I could say that to and get a laugh out of. I know these men. I know they have this church's best interest at heart. I've served with them. I've sat in long meetings with them. We've prayed together, worked together, labored together, and I know that they have Northside's best interests at heart. Every single one of them. I know that. I know that the men and women who are on this transition team, this search team, I've talked with them. And I know that they are prayerfully listening to the Lord for leadership. Every single one of them. There will be some changes that happen. There will be necessary changes that take place. But let me encourage you to trust those you've chosen to lead. I really do know this. Northside is one of the strongest mid-sized churches around. The Lord's been good to us. Week in and week out. When we didn't deserve it, the Lord's been good to us. And I have every confidence that if we'll continue to do, as Chris prayed before the service today, if we'll continue to do those things that the Lord has blessed, I think the Lord will continue to do so. I really do believe that. Continue to do the things that made Northside the church that it is. And those things that aren't so good, well, this is real simple. Stop. Stop doing that. Do the good stuff. I want to thank you for taking care of my family. You've been good to us. I want to thank you for being willing to follow down some crazy roads. Let's pay off our debt in the middle of a financial crisis. Let's build a building with cash we don't have. Let's use sports as a platform for evangelism. You followed down some wild and zany roads, and I want to thank you for that. And I want to thank you for giving me the liberty to do what I absolutely love. And that's preach and teach this book. 
when all things are done and when everything's brought to a close, I want to make sure that I've done this better than anything else. Because at the end of the day, it's not our programs. It's not our calendar. It's not our buildings. It's God's word that will save, that will introduce people to the loving kindness of the Lord and will compel them to walk with Jesus. Would you join me in prayer, please? Lord, we come to you today. Our righteousness. Thankful, Father, that the path before us is clear. We may have questions about who's going to preach on Sunday morning. We got an answer for that. We may have questions about these things and those things, Lord, but the path before us is crystal clear. There is an unfinished task. And Lord, that is for the flock to grow and multiply good sheep. We don't want a crowd full of goats. It's easy to do that, Lord. We want goats who want to become sheep. Lord, we want, to, we want to continue that journey, that crystal clear call upon our lives. And Lord, while it's good for a, a, a pulpiteer, someone who can handle the Bible, somebody who can teach and preach with, with fire and vigor, Lord, we have to, we have to take that good news into the places that we go day in and day out. Because the reality is, is those folks are not hearing the gospel from our pulpits. They might click a link on a website, they might take, give a few minutes to listen online, but they're not hearing it day in and day out from us. And so God, we are constantly confronted with the reality that our population grows and swells, but our church attendance diminishes and dwindles. And so while the shepherd is called to love and to serve and to, to lead the sheep, the sheep have to do their job. And that's to continue the, the, the task. But Lord, we do so under the understanding that, that the hardest part's been done. God, we are not victims of a culture that hates us. We are victors. Jesus finished it. He is our righteousness. The scripture says, what can separate me from the love of God? There is nothing in all of the creation that can separate me from your love. And so, God, if I share the gospel and I'm rejected, praise be to God. 
If I share the good news and people say they don't want to hear it, thanks be to God. Because I'm a victor. Because of what Christ has already done. God, I know that there are those here today who need to give their life to Jesus. And God, if I've done anything, then God, I pray that I would have done that. Pointed people to Jesus. And so God, bring us to that place to where we hate our sin and we love Jesus, not the other way around. Move in our hearts today. May the lost be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and have a time of invitation. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to give you an opportunity today to put your faith and trust in Jesus. You can do that today. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. We're going to stand together and sing and respond as the Lord would lead. been good to worship Jesus. Amen. 12 years. It's been good to worship Jesus. And uh, you guys will continue to, uh, to be a body who loves to worship Jesus. And uh, we are, uh, we're grateful for the time we've had. So. <laughs> What's okay? Come have a seat. <laughs>
Gay, wherever you are, come up here and join your family. Um, and when I ask the rest of you to be seated. Tim? Come on, Tim. Surely you know what today is. Of course I know what today is. Don't call me Shirley. What? You know they aren't leaving in a helicopter, right? Can wrap it. <laughs> no, but maybe we could sing it. I love that song. And the message is certainly fitting. Hey guys, there's a reason we're on the drama team and not in the choir. Well, uh, exactly. <laughs> I'm terrified. Oh, he better not be getting some crazy costume for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, what do you think? Uh, uh, why would you shave your head? And I know you don't expect us to do the same thing. Come on, guys. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. <laughs> Tim. Tim, I think uh, if we're going to imitate the carols, we need to pray for others. And uh, welcome newcomers. And study God's word. Share Christ. And exemplify Christ's likeness. Work towards furthering the kingdom. Be obedient to God's call, no matter how difficult. Sincerely. Honestly. Everyone. Everywhere. We want you to know that we love you. We'll miss, we'll miss you. you.
We're praying, we're for, praying you. for you. All of you. All of you. All of you. Wait a minute. Gabe and Matthew aren't leaving too, are they? Uh, uh, yes, of course. <laughs>
laboring in the Lord. You see, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. Thank you. Thank you for your work. And we pray that your work continues. It'll just be in a different location. Chris, would you come and lead us in a, in a benediction? And after that, if you want to come by and shake a hand, hug a neck, please do. And just remember, too, we also have our uh, reception at 2 o'clock this afternoon. Thank you. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for the, the time we got to be with the carols, Lord. Thank you for what they've meant to this church, how they've blessed it, how they've strengthened it, Lord. I pray as they go on to their, their new situation, Lord, I pray you to bless them in their endeavors, bless the church Brian is going to, Lord. I pray they, they would know what a, what a treasure they're getting in, in, uh, in this family. I pray those of us who remain, Lord, we would uh, continue doing the things that are good, Lord, uh, to be about the Father's business. Um, help us to help us to grow and, and do what Brian said, get the gospel out to our community, that the church may grow and that the, the kingdom of heaven may be furthered. Um, pray to the carols would, would feel and know how much we love them, how much we appreciate them. And we ask these things according to your will and in Jesus' name. Amen.